the the disruption that we saw in the grocery stores changed their buying habits. It introduced them to local uh, farmers markets, introduced them to locally sourced uh, retailers like ourselves, and they've they're still here. They're still shopping with us a, a year and a half later. Hi there, food enthusiasts. Thanks for tuning in to Future Foodcast, where thought leaders in today's food industry discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Today, we're speaking with William Roach. Uh, he's the CEO of S. Clyde Weaver, a company that's been in business over 100 years, uh, serving local markets um, primarily um, in the Pennsylvania area, and they're based out of East, East Petersburg, Pennsylvania. So with that, um, welcome to our webcast today. Um, looking forward to talking to you. Um, so how are you today, William? Oh, I'm doing doing all right. We're very busy, but we're keeping it going. Well, all right. Thank you for um, participating in the show. I think it's gonna be a very valuable one. And thank you for taking your time uh, today to share some ideas on where the company's been, where it's headed, and some of the challenges and some of the ideas you have uh, going forward on how to address the future, make the company grow uh, and serve your customers better. So all of that said, um, at this point, tell me a little bit about your background, how you actually came to S. Clyde Weaver, and then let's talk about the company as well in terms of where you're coming from, how did it get started and so on, and maybe their journey so far. Okay. Um, my background, I, uh, I went to the University of Illinois, uh, where I started uh, working at a restaurant. The restaurant owner had a restaurant in Los Angeles and asked me if I'd go out there to help manage it. I went out there, uh, managed a German restaurant that was buying sausages and uh, smoked meats and ham from a local manufacturer. The restaurant owner and I partnered up and bought that manufacturer and I learned how to make sausages, make bacon, ham, uh, turkey, all sorts of smoked and cured meats. I did that for about six years before moving to Pennsylvania and getting involved uh, more heavily on the retail side of food sales and ran a natural and organic grocery store for five years. Then I saw that a, a very established business and well-known business in our area called S. Clyde Weaver was looking for a CEO to take on uh, after the transition of the third generation owner has retired and they were looking for somebody with food retail experience that would understand the products that they sell. And uh, our company is S. Clyde Weaver Smoked Meats and Cheese. So for over 100 years here in the central Pennsylvania area, we've been selling uh, smoked meats and imported cheeses, specialty cheeses and uh, a lot of domestic cheese. And... <clears throat> there was a, a really good fit there between what they were looking for and what my experience had been. Yeah, excellent. So, and you're right, just looking at the company website, um, it's, if I got it right, it was S. Clyde Weaver, um, or yeah, sclydeweaver.com. Yes. The thing that's neat is it really does go through the story of where the company started, I guess, in Lancaster and how it's moved around. It's headquartered now in East Petersburg, but that whole area of Pennsylvania, I'll say, is a special place. It's um, having lived in that area, I'll say, it's not the same as the rest of the United States in many ways. And um, although my wife likes to argue with me on a lot of things, I, I've always said, I think it's, it's a great place to be 
not only from a business perspective, but even to live in that area is very nice. It's just, it's, uh, there's a lot of benefits to being in that area of the country. And I had been in that area for probably 20 years, more or less, before I moved over to New England. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a central yeah. Pennsylvania is very unique place. Um, yeah. Lancaster County here uh, is one of the largest Amish populations in the country. Uh, it's also this whole area is full of agriculture and Pennsylvania as a state is the second or third largest dairy state in the United States uh, behind Wisconsin and maybe California. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of fresh produce grown here. There's a lot of uh, access to local products and that's actually where S. Clyde Weaver operates. We do have two brick and mortar locations, but we have eight and soon to be nine farmers market locations where uh, the farmers markets here in Pennsylvania uh, are very old, very uh, well established. The central market in Lancaster, uh, downtown Lancaster here is the oldest continually operating farmers market in the country. And it operates year round. So the, it's not like a pop-up farmer's market that you see across the country where on Saturday, they might have a four hour window where you can come in and people right. just throw up tables. These are in, uh, they're in big buildings that are year round. So it's usually two to three days a week. Um, yeah. So actually I used to go out to the one that was Green Dragon. Is that still out there? Green Dragon is still out here, yes. Yeah, yeah. So. And you're right. It's a different experience if you go and buy from farmers markets. It's just the experience, forgetting all the great foods you're finding there uh, and other products as well. The thing that's neat is it just, it's a great experience to go through that for sure. And it's, I hate to say it, you're right. The pop-up farmers markets they have in cities all around the country are completely unrelated to that kind of an experience. The other thing is kind of cool is it sounds stupid. Um, I made the huge mistake of inviting what I call dates to take walks through the country out there. So I would say, hey, let's go on a date. <laughs> and my date was to go to intercourse and then walk 14 mile loop up to Leola and some of the other places and back and they'd look at me like, what are you nuts? And it's like, no, this is beautiful. It's dirt roads, you're walking through farms, you're seeing, you know, you're talking to farmers out there, you know, getting a shoe fly pie, you know, that's just been baked because you could smell it, you know, from the road kind of a thing, uh, you know, fresh ham, whatever it was. And so it, it, it's a very different area of the country. The best food I ever got was in that area for sure. It was all fresh, natural food. Um, for those of you that are worried about inflation, I can only say the best deal I ever got was buying seven cantaloupes for $1. And I challenge you to beat that anywhere on planet Earth. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it's a great experience to be out there. And it's nice that the company's located there. It's nice the company's serving, in a sense, the market of people that's out there as well. It's just, it's, I can't describe how different it is. It's in the United States, I'd say there's a lot of geographies that are different, but from a people perspective, a culture perspective, it's significantly an experience everybody should be able to have at some point, um, which I think is great. So the fact that you're based out of there, serving there, and you come from that background is actually really, really important um, for what it's worth. And Again, to the audience, all I can say is if you haven't been there, go there. Um, which yeah, actually, come, come visit, and when you do, stop at S. Clyde Weaver or one of our farmer's markets. Well, that's exactly where I was going next. Thanks for stealing my thunder, but I was actually <laughs> going to say, I was going to ask if they could just stop by and see you at any point, because um, I think it really is kind of neat to see a, a company that has grown up in that environment and serve those kind of customers with those value systems and so on. Um, is it and the products that you offer um, or just I, I'll call it a special experience to have so anyway I look forward to getting back there again um, 
So uh, I, I don't think I'll be bringing dates back anymore to walk the dirt <laughs> roads, but definitely want to come back to that area. So uh, the company's great. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the product line and maybe how that's evolved? Uh, sure. So going back 100 years to when S. Clyde Weaver himself started the company, uh, we, the focus was on ham and Swiss cheese. And uh, that was the big, that was the big selling point, but that was where the product lines started. Um, over the years, we've become more and more complex and add variety. We started uh, importing cheeses, uh, selling a lot of, of specialty cheese from all over the country, uh, all over the world. Sorry. <clears throat> we have a full line of uh, smoked meats and, and uh, imported products. Uh, have a a signature line of products that are developed under our recipes and to our specifications. Um, we have been voted the best bacon in Pennsylvania, and uh, that is a, a very important point that we like to tell everybody and we really hold to a high standard. Uh, I mean, really, since I started working here, I can't eat bacon elsewhere. It's really the best. We have also started importing cheese from Canada, cheddar cheese. This was back in the 90s. We found a really good cheese maker in Canada. They made a very good low moisture cheddar and we bought in uh, quite a bit and we let it age over time. We tried it after a couple of years and <clears throat> it started an aged cheddar program that is now developed to the point where we uh, wholesale nationally under the brand of Old Quebec as the, the cheddar's made in Quebec. Uh, we age it anywhere from three years up to 20 years. Now, nationally under old Quebec, you can, you can just find a seven-year product, but if you make your way to the S. Clyde Weaver uh, website, you can shop online and we have a 10 to 15-year available on the site. I believe we have a 21-year that we released last year. That's a very, <laughs> limited, very limited quantities and uh, I believe it's still available at the moment, but there's not much left. Yeah, you better run fast. I will say that your your view on cheese is unique because most of us are getting cheese that's less than 90 days old, you know, within a supermarket kind of thing, packaged mm -hmm. in whatever. And the deal is uh, it's nice to have cheeses that are different ages. It's almost like you're competing against the better scotches from uh, Scotland uh, that are out there saying, here, it's a 30-year scotch. Well, I got a 21-year-old cheddar to go with it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I didn't understand it until I started working with S. Clyde Weaver. I mean, I'd, I'd had some cheeses that were aged. You hear about like a four-year Vermont or a three-year Wisconsin cheddar. But when I got here and I kind of taste side-by-side side, a three-year, a five-year, a seven, a ten, you really see the difference in the flavor profiles and the development of the sharp flavors. Yeah. Um, and it's really uh, a, a, a taste experience that you don't find when you get a 90-day age sharp cheddar that you see in the supermarket. Yeah. It doesn't it, come close. Yes. And it's great that people, it, in a sense, whether I'm going to the, visiting your uh, store, your, I'll call it retail locations, the farmer's markets are going online. In a sense, I'm getting the same product at any of the outlets, which is pretty cool. Uh, one of the things I'll tell everybody, um, only because I've experienced it a lot, most of you have probably never been to this area of Pennsylvania. So the vast majority of you listening to the podcast would actually have no idea what a shoe fly pie is. But um, the good news is if you don't, you can go right to the website and get one. 
and you can find out it's one of the most unique things you'll ever have as a pie. It's not like a fruit pie. It's not a cream pie. It's a something else kind of a pie. And uh, I would only recommend that you definitely try it once and probably don't share it with anybody. Um, that would be a foolish move. The other thing I will speak to is uh, I've had the world's best bacon that I ever ate came from where you are. And if you won the title out there, uh, then that's ridiculous because that would be the, the uh, cream of the cream, so to speak, for bacon uh, to hit, hit that level of recognition. So the best bacon, and it doesn't taste anything like you're going to get out of the store. Uh, normally, when I go to a grocery store, I get brands packaged a certain way. But what's different is I can remember going to, uh, in a sense, a farmer's smokehouse that was an Applewood smokehouse, and he had big slabs of, you know, five, 10 pound slabs of bacon hanging there that had been smoked for whatever it was, 90 days or something. And putting one of those in my car, coming home and cutting it up and eating it, it's like, oh, wow, this doesn't taste like the bacon I get out of a store that's, you know, whatever nice, soggy little stuff that I have to put and watch it shrivel down like 80%. Uh, right. a completely different flavor. I mean, and it, again, it's the flavor, if nothing else, it's the flavor and the texture that would go, what? This can't be bacon. And I would say the same thing with ham that comes from out in that area of the country. You're used to ham. You've had ham elsewhere. You get it from the deli counter. You might've had a real ham at Easter, whatever. And it's nothing like the ham you're going to get from that area of the country. It's, it's almost like a different product. The first time I had a ham from there, I thought, wait a minute, this is closer to some sort of steak than the ham I'm used to. That's all full of water and pink. Very, very different. So yeah, well, that's exactly that's exactly what the difference is. We do a um, dry cure. We use a dry cure where the product is uh, packed with salt, and, and uh, over time it cures. Whereas uh, most big companies, they're using an injection. So they they added their salt and cure to water, and then they pump. Uh, the ham or bacon full of the, the curing liquid. So by the time that you purchase it at the store, it's, it's about 30% of the weight is a liquid that's been pumped into it, whereas ours has actually lost a little weight throughout the curing process. Yeah, which the end result of that for me was the flavor was ridiculous compared to what I was getting from the store. Yes. Um, so if you want good flavor, I would have to say that that's the best way I can go for those kind of meats for sure. Um, and I, actually having lived in the area and also I would say my diets change over time, but originally I also was a big consumer of a lot of the other meats you also have uh, out of the store, you know, love and bologna and some of the other things. And again, I'll go back and say the, the smoke flavor of those things is again, significantly different than when I go and get what I call generic brands out of my supermarket for the same thing. So uh, it's a pretty unique place. And if you physically can't get there, then you probably have to go to the website. Um, that would be the recommended thing for sure. Um, and then I would say also, uh, besides the outlets that we talk about, the product line is distinctive, I'll say, for the customer that tell me a little bit about who are the people who now uh, either come there locally or visit online. Uh, tell me about the segments, the customers that you're serving and what they're looking for a little bit. Sure. Well, the, um, it depends on the location that we're at. So our brick and mortar stores, we have a lot of people who are doing um, they're kind of daily grocery shopping. Uh, they'll come in and buy just a few things and, and uh, we, they're not necessarily doing a, a big once a week trip. Sometimes they do. People that are shopping at farmer's markets, they this is an event for them. And that's a really nice thing about being at farmer's market is it's very experiential. And that's like, that's what all the big uh, 
the big retail retailers of all sorts, uh, whether it's fashion or food, they're all trying to create an experience. <clears throat> and the nice thing about farmer's market is that the farmer's market itself is the experience. You have 30 to 50 different vendors that are all small business owners. Things are grown and made locally. They're made small batch. Uh, a lot of times you're interacting with the business owner uh, themselves. So you really have uh, people that go in and spend hours at the market and they talk to vendors, they build relationships with the vendors and they'll go and walk out with, uh, they'll bring in bags and walk out with their arms completely loaded with, with fresh and local foods uh, for a week or two. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I lived in Maryland, Delaware and Pennsylvania, all three areas. But I, I'll say that all my friends in Delaware and Maryland were always what I call planning trips to the farmer's markets in Pennsylvania, for sure. It was, you know, close over the border. I'm saying it was, you know, half hour, 35 minute drive kind of a thing. And then um, uh, what they got in those farmer's markets, as you point out, they couldn't get anywhere else in Maryland or Delaware. So, um, yeah, it's, I still have friends I've just talked to recently who have just made trips up there uh, for all of that good stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, so... Uh, it is a unique, I'll call it customer set because of the location. And like I said, friends in Maryland and Delaware uh, are part of your customer set because they're coming up to find um, products from you specifically in those stores. Um, the other thing is uh, any, uh, well, we were all affected by, I'll say the pandemic for sure. Tell me a little bit about the impact the pandemic had on your company and your customers and maybe the adjustments you had to make for that. Sure. The original, initially, as there was a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen or what businesses were going to be open, everybody kind of started to stay home. We were afraid to go out and interact even at the grocery store. So we very quickly built a, uh, a uh, curbside website for pickups at our, at our brick and mortar locations. And very quickly the customer went from the person that you've seen once a week for five years they were now clicking buttons on the computer and coming and doing a curbside pickup. But what was very interesting to us, we initially saw a big drop in sales mm -hmm. and we recovered very quickly within uh, two weeks because the farmer's markets were named an essential business. We were able to stay open, stay operating. And apart from one market that is very uh, tourism based, we saw more customers, the consumer change their shopping habits because in grocery stores and supermarkets, the delis were closed because they couldn't afford the interaction with people or they didn't have the product. So you'd walk through uh, the, the grocery store and the meat shelves would be completely empty. Our shelves were full because we don't rely on a nationwide supply chain. We, we buy local um, for the most part, unless we're talking about imported foods. We have producers that work for us that are all local. They, they, their supply is coming from locally uh, grown or raised products. And we had full shelves when the grocery stores had empty shelves. We became a primary source for people uh, to find meat to put on their dinner table. And uh, we, we had trouble staffing our locations because, uh, not because of, of staffing issues, but because of the crazy demand that we weren't expecting. Uh, yeah, so, say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I would say other than maybe what you were able to supply as what I call 
fresh food locally sourced, which is a huge difference than the rest of the world. There's no container ships in a harbor waiting to get unloaded to get stuff from your stores. Radical difference. I'd say other than that, the only other thing that was close is being able to get toilet paper at that time. Those two things are basically the essentials for all humans. And it looks like people in your market were recognized the difference right away. That you go to this local supermarket, it's like, oh God, look, 80% of the stuff is the shelves are empty. Uh, where am I going to get that stuff? Gee, I need to go back to the farmer's market. I need to go back to those retail stores in Pennsylvania for sure. And the fact that you, in a sense, had all that stock and supply um, is pretty awesome. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you were introduced to a lot of new customers that way. Um, we were. And the best part is that they're now new returning long-term customers. It, it, the, the disruption that we saw in the grocery stores changed their buying habits. It introduced them to local uh, farmers markets, introduced them to locally sourced uh, retailers like ourselves. And they've, they're still here. They're still shopping with us a, a year and a half later. Yeah, that's excellent. That's awesome. And I, I really like the fact, like I said, the other thing is I'll say your website, if you're in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, fine. Go to the farmer's market, go to the stores. If you're coming from some longer distance, then sure, make it part of a vacation plan. But I recognize if you're coming from California or Texas or something, you're not going to be a regular weekly customer up there. But then the website does give you the way to, in a sense, still get the same products. You know, if you've come there and you've tried and you said, hey, this is a great experience, great food, can't get this locally in Texas, now you can get it through the website, which is pretty awesome too. So, Yeah, the website um, really took off during the pandemic, we had, we had invested a lot of effort and resources into rebuilding our website. When when I started with the company uh, back in 2019, the website looked like it was built in 1990. And I believe that's because it was. Uh, it was how valuable that is. <laughs> it, it, uh, it needed to be revised and it needed to be easy to use and it needed to have pictures and it, it had looked like a MS-DOS screen for those that remember the, um, yeah, yeah. what MS-DOS was. So it, it was a mess. We, we put a lot of energy into it. Luckily, we had done this all um, pre-pandemic because when, the, when COVID hit, things shut down, people were buying online. We saw sales, our e-com sales jump through the roof um, very quickly. We were up 300, 400%. Yeah. That's great. So I'm glad that people found it. And you're right, the website does look great. What I like about the website is I can go find products there. And as you pointed out, you have tons of, I'll call it obviously the meat products, the cheese products, but you've complemented those with other things as well. You know, so I can see, I can get certain candies, I can get my shoe fly pie, I can get a bunch of other things, uh, not just meats and cheeses, which is nice. So it's a, it has a better mix of product. The other thing that's nice is for some of us who are what I call food challenged, on the cooking side, myself included, um, it's nice that I see you have recipes out there for a lot of the products you're selling, which is great. So that's really excellent. My son, on the other hand, is a my chef, but he would still go out and check out these recipes and see what he might want to make. And I like the fact that the recipes you have out there are a little bit different than what you'd normally find in your average cookbook, which is cool too. Sure, yeah, the, uh, the, the product selection that we have on our, on our uh, website and our online store match what's available in our uh, brick and mortar stores, which is kind of this wide range of central Pennsylvania flavors. So we have the shoe fly pie, the sand tarts, the whoopie pies, um, the, some, some specialty mustards, 
all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Very, very special, unique, and uh, signature products from this region. Uh, and then, but I you forgot know, the other point you made. So the other point is the recipes that you have to go with oh. it, obviously. Yeah, we wanted to we wanted to make sure that we provided a lot of information to our customers and anybody that made it to the site. It's not enough to just sell them some some of the best bacon they'll ever have. Let's help them figure out. So. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. So I'll close. Yeah. For if you haven't been to that area of the country, the website's a good place to get started because you can find the products and you can find the recipes as well. And if you have been there and can't get back easily, then it's a good place to, in a sense, continue to get the products, which is nice. Um, and then if you actually live in the area, you can ignore the website and just go there, <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. Um, so that said, we talked about the pandemic a little bit. Um, we talked about the fact that your demand went up because you're locally sourced um, uh, products, which is a huge win for freshness, flavor, all the other things that you've already discussed. Um, and so a lot of people are discovering, in a sense, what your company can bring to the table that is fresh uh, than some of the alternatives they've been using before. I went through actually the same journey. I used to get a certain kind of lunch meat, you know, from my local grocery store. Like you said, during the pandemic, it was like, well, maybe we'll get a shipment of that next month. We can't tell you. And it immediately changed my buying habits 100%. So um, that's a good thing that you saw that shift in demand, which is nice. And, and like I say, a lot of people, I don't know what your overall customers think. I don't know if you survey them or how they give you feedback, but all I know is the people I work with are always or friends with, if you will, always looking for more freshly uh, produced and locally sourced product for sure when it comes to food. And that is something that I've seen change over time. I'm guessing that trend has changed for you as well, you know, in terms uh, of what you can consumers. Yeah, I believe so. And especially just in the last uh, two to three years since I've been here and what I've heard from people that have been here a bit longer is that we're seeing a younger and younger demographic coming into the store. And <clears throat> I think a big part of that is that they're, they understand the, they have a desire to shop locally. They have a desire to find products that are, are raised or produced within the area and don't have hundreds of miles to reach from where they're grown to where they're sold. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I will throw my son in that category. So it's not that I didn't want fresh product, I always have, but the difference is he'll, he and uh, his wife will make a bigger effort, you know, than I will to go a farther distance to, in a sense, get the experience and get those kind of products. And because he is a better cook than I am, he'll produce a better result than I can. I just eat it and consume it. <laughs> I'm sort of like the equivalent of a human garbage can where he actually produces something of high quality at the other end you'd want to eat as well. Um, so it's good that he can get sourced that way. Um, so we talked about a pandemic. We talked about changes in demand and so on, what consumers are looking for a little bit. Um, let's talk for a second. Uh, the supply chain in your case, for the most part, I'll say the majority of the supply chain appears to be what I call local, although you do, as you say, have some imports that would have been impacted by the pandemic in terms of availability. So if there's something coming from France or some other country, I'm sure there was some sort of impact on that availability uh, you know, through the pandemic. Uh, there, there has been some, some slowdowns and some issues with, uh, inventory that we try to order, but, uh, those have been resolved pretty quickly. Uh, we've yeah. not had any real long-term out of stocks or any problems with that. I think it's probably because we're on the East coast. I know there's a, a there's a lot of, uh, trouble with getting product in on the West coast, but we're luckily 
on a Europe to to the, the East Coast here, it's easier to, to yeah. there's less congestion. Yeah, and you're right. I We all know about the West Coast problems that are not getting resolved quickly on the pandemic, not likely to on the, the supply chain shipments and so on. Um, so that let's talk a little bit about food safety. Um, so the company's been around for more than 100 years. So at this point, talk to me about what the challenges are today and in a sense how your company deals with food safety uh, concerns and, and regulations. Sure, I think uh, you know, food safety is very important. Uh, oh, it was one of the driving factors that back in the 80s uh, took us to make the decision to have our meat processing done at a USDA facility. So we partnered with a local processor and they took on our recipes and have been doing all of our meat processing for our product line. Uh, and that was because we, we realized, this was long before I was here, but there was a realization that it's important to have a safe food product and we're not the best at doing processing versus we're very good at retail. So let's find a processor who can be the best at processing a safe and, and high quality product for us. And we'll work on getting it to market and in, into the customer's hands. Uh, in terms of today, uh, one of our big focuses is just education and training of our staff. Uh, not only do we have them going and doing a serve safe, which is mandatory, uh, but we're, we're trying to do a lot of uh, programming and, and educational training in-house, uh, far above and beyond the the uh, serve safe criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We, uh, go ahead. We we also know that temperatures play a huge role in food safety. So we have uh, temperature controls and monitors attached to all of our refrigeration at all of our locations. So we can something goes wrong, something shuts down, we get a high templar. And we can be there within an hour to address the situation and pull product out and make sure that it maintains cool if necessary. Um, that may be the one use of technology that we're, we're quite good at and innovative with is that we, we've got a constant understanding of what our food temps look like. Yeah, and that's, that's actually interesting because when I go out to that area of the country and I walk through those farms and look, it's they have the old ice cellars that are still out there from some of the physical farms. And you say, whoa, that's what, in the summer, they had to hope they had enough ice and it was cool and shady underneath those trees uh, to keep the food reasonably cold. But yeah, you're right. It makes sense to have uh, modern, uh, in a sense, temperature sensors all through your facilities to make sure that everything stays at the right temperature. And, and actually, I used to retail cheese when I was at Cornell out of their stores. And I do remember we had, in a sense, certain temperatures for the cheese coolers, different temperatures for the ice cream, uh, and then other products would be stored at room temperature, so to speak. But maintaining those things and the proper handling within those each of those areas to say we're only bringing cheese out when it's ready to go into the local um, uh, uh, freezers, if you will, or coolers, uh, when we get to a certain level. But making sure that the product never sat anywhere else, except within the right um, storage facility or in the cooler where it was being retailed was very important for sure uh, to get that right. Um, and the customers rely on that. And so part of the thing with this, you've got local processors for the meats and the cheese, 
You have other products that are, in a sense, I'll call it, um, have a much longer shelf life for freshness, as an example. So you're, you're selling certain candies or crackers or something like that, and they, they don't have the same shelf life. But in all of those cases, you have a shelf life and an expiration and all that. And I'm guessing beyond just tracking expiration of product and so on, you also, um, do you have to worry or is there any kind of a process in your case for food recalls? If somebody calls in and says, hey, I got a bad you know, thing of cheese or I got a bad something, is there a recall process in, in place that sort of tracks that? Uh, when we look at our, when we look at our retail, um, that's a, a little more difficult because we're, we're serving customers at a farmer's market. We don't have a POS system. We're not tracking, uh, we don't have customer accounts. So who's buying what? We just don't have that data. Yeah. However, uh, when you, we also, when we look at our products, we have very fast turnover and we're buying product on a weekly basis. Uh, the most anything's going to be in our, in our facility, even if it's got a shelf life of uh, months because it's, it's uh, hard cheese or it's a, a dry cured product. We're typically turning it over within a week or two. So <clears throat> we don't have a, a lot of uh, long-term product on here. Yeah, I would, you're right. I think people who go to the farmer's market, for the most part, like you said, there's fairly frequent. I may have been the extreme when I got my food purchases, usually within the hour they were gone. So they couldn't boil, <laughs> they couldn't disappear because they were already gone. But normal people would probably bring them home and so on. And then to your point, they're going to cook them, consume them or whatever, <coughs> cycle, um, and then come back fairly often. Most of them will. Um, that's for sure. And I even, when I was desperate, would bring my own little cooler with my own dry ice and say, fair enough, it's ice cream. It is going to melt by the time I get home. But um, yeah, that turnaround is there. Um, I will say that certainly from a, the processor you use has his own food safety challenges too, because he's supervised and all that and regulated by the state of Pennsylvania, which actually, to, having lived there, I will say they have some of the most aggressive um, uh, food and uh, health safety can, uh, certifications in the country uh, by far. So that was the biggest thing because I guess food for whatever reason, why it was more important in Pennsylvania than other states on the East Coast, I can't explain. But all I will remember is the Department of Agriculture and, uh, and so on and the safety standards they had in place for anybody processing food there was really, really high compared to a lot of the other states for sure. So if you're licensed and you're getting the uh, standard state uh, inspections and so on um, in the state of Pennsylvania, that's fairly rigorous for sure, um, which is good. And then um, the other thing is we talked about regulations and, and recalls and all that. What about um, uh, from your point of view, one of the, and this is true of the farmer's markets, not just you, but other businesses in those markets, they're doing business in a sense uh, with customers, building in a sense relationships, building loyalty, building understanding the products, where things come from. So beyond the of the education that you're doing with your own staff, it's, it's an educational experience for the customers who are coming through these farmers markets as well. Um, but help me out a little bit. In your company, you've been operating for over 100 years. You're not doing things exactly the same you were 100 years ago. Over time, you've made improvements. From your point of view, if I asked you not to tell me if you're using blockchain, but rather if you look at what you're doing as a business now, and you have both a retail website and you also have uh, put retail operations at the farmer's markets and your stores. Um, what do you see as the important technologies? One of which you mentioned was in a sense, this cold chain idea that I'm 
making sure that the products are always kept at the right temperature while they're in our hands. And then the second thing, you mentioned that earlier, but beyond that, are there other things from, uh, I'll call it an improved process improvement perspective that you see as opportunities within the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, while you said that we're not doing exactly everything as we did 100 years ago, there's a lot of things where it's very close. And uh, when you think about it, we're still taking a piece of meat to market, slicing it at the market, and handing over a showcase to a customer. So there's a lot of things that are very similar to the way that they were back in 1920 when the company started. Uh, <clears throat> now, since I've come on board and, and uh, taken the leadership role here, we're really pushing on trying to implement technology wherever possible. Uh, one of the key examples right now is we're working on uh, rolling out a new scheduling and timekeeping software so that employees are going to be clocking in and out. Uh, up until this point, we've gotten scheduling online, but before that, it was uh, schedules on a piece of paper and posted at the location. And today, we're currently receiving handwritten time cards. So uh, we're in the process of close to hopefully, hopefully close to finishing the process of um, getting time scheduling, timekeeping, and payroll processing all done from a single payroll processor where all the work that we're doing is done once and we can process payroll with the click of a button. Uh, we're, we are in the process of getting a POS system for our brick and mortar stores. And <clears throat> uh, that's one area where the supply chain disruption did have a big impact on us. We ordered POS hardware back in December of uh, 2020. We mm -hmm. were expecting to receive the all the hardware for a POS system to come in in January or February. It came in in September. So yeah. Uh, we're now we're now postponing the launch of that into January, so we're not trying to overwhelm our staff during the holidays uh, by learning a new system. Yeah. Um, another thing that we're doing is just trying to collect data wherever possible, and then use that data because there's a lot of places where we collect data uh, where we didn't necessarily use it. For instance, uh, with our with our bond, so we 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 don't have a POS system set up. We don't know what our exact sales are on products that we purchase. However, we know how much we're buying. So yeah. we've now started to, to do some kind of uh, reverse engineering of what we sold based on what we bought. Yeah, and you're right. You use those kind of calculations to forecast forward. If I see shifts in demand and history on demand, I'm lower on this, but I have an overstock on that. Then I've got to maybe adjust my purchasing going out the other end uh, and help the people you're buying from plan a little better too. If your shift is that you can coordinate with them and directly shift. Yeah. Um, so that's all on the planning side. Um, I'm trying to think is that shifts. The other thing I'll say is that there is your web. It sounds idiotic. I'll say you have this website, but you're, you're doing something different than a lot of other businesses. And it's almost like I'd say, I can see the recipes out there. I can see the products out there. Um, what I would ask is maybe there's an opportunity to create more of a community around the website itself, like a blog in a sense. So if I think of going to Amazon, you know, I buy a, a whatever, a, a laptop computer, and then I, um, looking for laptop computers and I read and there you are and you say, Hey, that laptop computer is really good, except it didn't have enough storage space or it was too slow for my needs. 
those kind of reviews are helpful. In your case, it's beyond just what I call a product review to say, hey, I recommend the shoe fly pie over the cheese or something. Sure, you can get that. The bigger thing is, I think because you're unique, the product set is unique. I think the people, and I'll say as an example, throw my son in there. If he were to buy your products online, he would do something different. I would just eat them. They'd be gone. All I could say is I ate them. Jim, this is Jim. I ate them, loved them, give them five stars, done. That's all you're going to get out of me. But in his case, he's a real chef and he'll do something unique with, he'll take leather and bologna that you sell and he'll do something very creative with it. And there'd be an ability for him to share back those kind of things with the rest of your community. Because I really think, like I say, the product's different, where you're located is different, how you do things is different. And I think for all of that, you can start to identify with the community strongly. Um, you know, in addition to the products, in addition to the, just the um, recipes is go the next step and say, get my son to post a recipe for something he did unique with 11 bologna as an example. It would be kind of neat because you really do have a way to extend broaden that community, I think. Yeah, those are, those are, some, those are some really good ideas. Um, I know that we do have uh, areas for people to review the product, but I don't think we're focused on kind of building that, that discussion and community as you, as you mentioned. Yeah, so we, we do that, but we do it as, I'll call it moderated communities, do you know what I mean? So it's not like I get to come in and just throw anything on your website. We don't do that. We have these, I'll call it community forums kind of a thing, but they're moderated. So you, you have somebody on your review them, decide you know what makes sense to share and so on and be more valuable. But again, I do think it, it, is, it really is a community of, as you say, it's the farmer market community, honestly where you have people just come in, they relate directly. And honestly, it's that relationship that separates your, um, I'll call it business, if you will, and the way you work with customers from a lot of, you know, what normal supermarkets and things like that. And um, it's finding ways to translate that farmer's market experience into something that's sort of broader and digital, if you will. Um, so I, I go crazy on those ideas. So I'm the wrong guy to advise you, but because <laughs> I'm off the wall, but I, it would be a fun thing because that farmer's market experience for all the things you talk about, there's a reason it, it is still the same way it is today. When you go to the farmer's market for hundred years ago or 500 years ago, if it was in Europe, it's because it was an experience that was valuable and it's not getting lost. Um, and for those of, for the majority of the country that don't have that opportunity, um, is a chance to understand what that is somehow. And it's trying to figure out how to bring that actually into a, a digital experience that says, hey, you're not in a 30 minutes driving distance of East Lidditz or wherever it is um, and say, hey, you know, you can still participate somehow in this community. That's pretty cool. Um, so I do think, you know, you have a unique, um, the people who come there regularly are in a sense a unique customer set for sure but it's a unique area and it's a unique product line that you're offering. Um, and I think the whole experience is unique. It's just, how do you translate that into a larger experience for other people? But it's pretty cool as a business for sure. Oh, one last thing, I, that's where I did want to go. I forgot, we we're talking about sustainability. So because you're in the retail business, um, talk to me a little bit about anything that you think is related to sustainability, the environmental practices and so on. And what I mean by that is you're processing food the food has an expiration date. I know because I lived in that area of the country for a while. I worked as a house parent at a, a children's home, actually not far from where you're located in Wormelsdorf. And the deal is um, 
we used to benefit a lot from local uh, companies like yours that used to, in a sense, donate food. As an example, you know, we were the beneficiaries of those kind of things. I don't know if you do anything along those lines with communities. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, we because we're buying local and we're locally sourcing a majority of our products, we don't have the same carbon footprint that you would see from a company that is buying their meat from an IBP where the pigs are raised in one location and then brought up to Iowa and then transported across it. We don't, we don't have those difficulties. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is that we're, we're very particular about our order cycles and our order volumes. And we've been, at, we've been in the same business for a hundred years. We know what we're doing when it comes to uh, ordering product and how much we're even projecting ahead. So we, on a weekly basis, we have very little leftover product. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, that's to say things that have a short shelf life that aren't sellable for the next week. Right? We have plenty of product that would be sellable for weeks ahead. But when you look at like lunch meat, the sliced lunch meat that we take to the market, um, that we slice at market, if we don't sell it by Saturday afternoon, it's all coming back to our main corporate office here where we act as a distribution hub. <clears throat> We might have 10 or 15 pounds of sliced various lunch meats. For a company with 10 locations going out to sell on a Saturday, that's a very, very limited amount. Uh, yeah. And what's what's one of the nice things that we do though is that, that all that product's put together and then donated to our local food bank, mm -hmm. uh, who we've really tried to create a, a good standing relationship with. So beyond the weekly donations that we make, <clears throat> We've also partnered with them uh, financially, so we've sponsored some of their fundraising events, and uh, that's been a big, a big thing that our staff has enjoyed knowing that we do, because it's not about it's not about going to market and selling products, sell ham and cheese, make money, go home. It's right. about impacting the people around us, the people that we interact with, whether it's an employee, a customer, or a community. Yeah. And, and uh, really, that's the mission of S. Clyde Weavers. We want to we want to positively impact everybody that we interact with, and uh, the the community, the food bank, is one where we put a lot of focus. We've donated a couple pallets of ham to them as they've run into situations where they've been short on product, healthy product to get to 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 their clients. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, that's a very big deal. I think when I look at the pandemic, and I say even personally on my end too. You look around, it's like, okay, there's all these problems, everybody has needs, blah, 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 blah. When you finish it all down and say, hey, but what's really important, you go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we should really rethink really about food banks. And so even here, in my case, I started regularly donating to food banks and they said, look, there's a lot of things going on. I can help in a lot of ways, but no, <laughs> focus on my local food, food bank and try to make sure that in a sense, they have better resources on an ongoing basis. And then, so even as the pandemic fades, I realize, oh, wait a minute, that was actually a pretty important thing to do. So even though I'm new at it, you've been doing it for a long time, you realize contributing to a food bank is a big, big thing. And I think the other thing you pointed out, which is huge, uh, it's, and it's not just your business, but it's the whole food chain that you're connected to, as you say, is I'll put ridiculously, I'll use the word carbon efficient. Um, so I, just having been to those farms, watch how they operate, watch in a sense, uh, in a sense, horses pulling plows through fields to raise corn and so on, and I, whatever it is, 
uh, the way they run the, in a sense, the slaughterhouses there, all that stuff, uh, the processors, the meat, it is ridiculously efficient compared to most of what most of the rest of the world goes through from a carbon per perspective. So that is um, a huge difference. I'm not in the business of studying it scientifically. All I can tell you is if you go through and start looking at these farms, you look at the farmer's markets, and you look at the fact that either I'm going to your store or you know whatever, getting it from a farmer's market, that supply chain is just so short, so simple. It doesn't have a lot of the overhead that these larger um, organizations do with these international supply chains by far. So that's a huge difference. Uh, I don't know that anybody's doing studies measuring it, but um, it's obvious when you sort of go to these farms, look at the local processors and look at the farmer's markets, it a really short supply chain for sure, which is really great beyond the freshness standpoint, um, beyond the fact that I'm learning about, in a sense, dealing with the businesses directly, which is a win, but it's also the fact that it is actually good for the planet as well. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, I push you through a lot of topics today, um, whether you wanted to go there or not. Um, so having done that, I do want to say that um, um, I want to thank you for the time you spent with us. I think um, it's an unusual for me podcast because it's not just about the products. It's about more than that. It's yes, the company has been around a while and so on. But as you point out, is part of this different type of a community that most people are not gonna have direct experience with. And what's really cool is you've got a way at this point that if you haven't been there physically, if you don't live there, that you can get that experience, get those products and understand what the differences are. And that goes back to my shoe flight pie. Definitely go order the website and get one of those and then don't tell anybody you had one. Yeah, don't don't forget to order the best bacon in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so cool. I want to thank you. Yeah, I want to thank you very much for the podcast. This has been awesome, and uh, certainly look uh, on my end to getting back to your area. Um, maybe not on a date, but definitely want to go back to the farmers markets and get some of those meats for sure directly again. So I want to yeah. thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 